Hello there, coaches. If you ever thought trying to win a dual match was a pressure-filled environment, try negotiating and drafting billion-dollar deals. That is exactly what today's guest was doing before joining the college coaching ranks. Ryan Rizzaconi is the head women's tennis coach at Saginaw Valley State University. He gave up his career in the legal profession to pursue his true passion for coaching tennis, which he has done at all levels of the game. In this podcast, we discuss what skills Ryan has brought from his past life as a lawyer to help him in his current role, his progression from high school tennis coaching to college coaching, and how he and his community are dealing with the aftermath of a tragic mass shooting last November in Oxford, Michigan. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Ryan Rizzaconi, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, David. I appreciate it. Yeah, Ryan. So you were part of our new uh, coaches group last year and got to know you a little bit and, and think you have a fascinating background, even though you're relatively new to the college coaching uh, space, you have uh, extensive experience in, in a lot of other areas that I'm excited to learn from you today. So you ready to get going? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you started your professional career as a lawyer how long did you practice law and why did you make the move into tennis? Hey, uh, David, before uh, I, I answer that, I just want to say, you know, thanks for doing this. I think, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit with marketing college tennis and marketing tennis more. And I think this podcast really falls into that. Um, I know it's been a great bene benefit for me, for my assistant coaches. So thanks. I really appreciate Thank that you take the time to do this and talk to all these coaches and get their different backgrounds. It's been oh, fantastic. It's a pleasure. It's fun. And the new college, you know, coaches group that I was a part of with a part of that you, you know, oversaw was great. Um, still have a lot of notes from that. And so it was a great help. Uh, that first. Yeah. So yeah, I started, uh, I practiced law for about 15 years. Um, I did, uh, I worked for a, a small law firm that was a business and corporate firm, uh, went to an international, uh, construction company that, uh, built, uh, windows and doors, uh, for homes. And then my final eight years, uh, in that legal career was, um, with a specialty pharmacy, which, uh, distributed, uh, medication to cancer patients, HIV, uh, patients, long-term disease state patients. And so, you know, I had been in that, obviously in the legal area for a long time. Tennis was always my passion, you know, played in juniors, played in high school, had a cup of coffee trying to play the division one level, and then uh, played uh, college club, uh, was an instructor at tennis camps and, you know, kept teaching tennis on the side uh, before I, you know, wound up uh, building Oxford High School's boys tennis program uh, and then wound up here. Okay. And so when you made that move into tennis then was college coaching the ultimate goal or that even enter the equation i don't think it was the ultimate goal uh you know tennis was my passion it was my and it was also my stress relief during that time when the legal aspect would would pull me away i would uh you know spend uh five six a.m uh morning sitting off a ball machine somewhere in some club just um you know having that stress relief but um it was more of a build-up you know, once I got to uh, spend more time coaching a team and being around that, um, then it became something that I thought, yeah, I'd like to do that someday. And so what are some of the skills and experiences you gained as a lawyer that you believe now serve you well as a college tennis coach? Yeah, I think, you know, communication, obviously, you know, uh, has been a big, big plus. 
uh, being able to interact with um, you know 80s uh, with the president of the university, with others inside the university administration has been helpful. I think it's helped build uh, a, a relationship of trust uh, for the tennis program. Um, it's also helped me communicate around the community and go and do, um, whether it's talk to donors, whether it's to build community support and try to get more people to come to our matches or be sponsors. You know, I think that's, uh, it's been helpful. Uh, it's also been helpful on the team side. You know, I try to we meet with our players, um, you know, in uh, coaches meetings that are one on one based as much as possible. Um, we're open and honest about everything that we can be. So I think, uh, you know, the communication aspect and having that that background has been extremely helpful, basically, be, you know, feeling comfortable communicating with whoever you come across. And then I would think, you know, having the ability to kind of plan, put a plan in place and a vision and organize it. When I was vice president, general counsel at Diplomat, when I came in, we were very small. Um, we were about a $200 million company um, with, uh, I think, about 1,000 employees. And, you know, we, we grew uh, in that eight years to about uh, $5 billion in revenue, and we had uh, around 4,000 employees. And so I had built their legal department. I was their first lawyer. Um, I had built their HR department and their compliance department. And so that gave me, you know, the benefit of having that experience, knowing how to put a plan in place, a vision, knowing how to have plan A, mm -hmm. <laughs> plan B, plan C, because not everything always goes uh, the way you want it to go. But you know, being able to have that vision, put a plan in place, and then articulate it, I think, uh, I think has been beneficial. Yeah, it's it sounds like it, and, and I'm sure it gives you a lot of perspective as as well, right? And just in terms of putting in place where a college tennis match might fit right sometimes we can get a little too stressed out or maybe a little too into it and think the whole world's going to end if we lose this match but do you think that that experience that that you've had in that other world has helped you with a perspective around I guess match day and also the type of experience you're trying to provide for your student athletes at times, I mean, everybody still gets stressed and everybody wants to win. I'm, I'm as competitive as the next person. Um, I think uh, it it has to a certain extent understanding, you know, the big picture and understanding that there's a growth process hmm. to go through. Um, you know, I've been been through it, like I said, in the legal area. I've been through it in the in the tennis area as well, uh, building a program before. And um, so you understand that you have to go through those highs and lows a little bit. So, but I still have to tell myself, uh, <laughs> you know, this is to be expected, you know, just. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Just smile. It's still fun. <laughs> yeah. And so then uh, we talked about, so you moved out of the, your legal career into kind of more uh, club coaching, academy coaching, junior development, and then you got into high school coaching. And, and so how did your time as a high school coach prepare you for the world of college coaching? You know, so Oxford didn't, when I um, came on board in Oxford High School, we, they didn't have a boys tennis program. They had a, a girls tennis program. So I was tasked with starting their boys tennis program. And um, it was, it was fun. I, I like to build, to be part of that building process to me is, is what makes it fun. And um, it was a great learning experience in that I had to market the program. So I had to market it to kids in the high school get them to come out for tennis and then i had to market to parents you had to market to you know the administration um and so i got uh, a first-hand experience on marketing tennis <laughs> pretty much for the entire time i was there but definitely in the in the early years 
And then, um, and that's really helped. It's helped uh, in this job. And then, um, you know, I got to spend time with parents. Um, I think high school tennis gives a college coach that glimpse into the parent world. Yeah. So that when it comes to recruiting, you understand um, more of the mindset of a parent. And sometimes even the mindset of the player, a little bit of high school player that you might be recruiting. But it gave me basically, you know, five years to develop a rapport with parents and to, I don't want to say experiment, but to, you know, see what things worked when talking with them, what didn't. And there were difficult times. There were fun times, all, you know, all those things that go into it. But I think it's really helped. Um, when we get recruits here to campus or we go on a recruiting visit and, you know, we spend time with the parents, I think that was um, a big benefit of having that experience. Yeah, I might have said this on the podcast before, Ryan, but when I moved back to Ireland after my, I retired from college coaching and just to stay connected with college coaching or the college tennis world, I, I helped some players, you know, gain a scholarship, uh, Irish players gain a scholarship here in the States and it was fascinating to me just how involved the parents were. And I had definitely underestimated that when I was a college coach and how much they're pulling the strings, how much they're really making the decision and kind of guiding the conversation, guiding the direction that it's going. And I, I think sometimes, I mean, my belief was, Hey, this player's 18 years old or 19 years old or seven, like they're an adult stop. You know, I don't want to deal with the parent kind of thing. And I think that was a, a huge mistake. And it sounds like you, you figure that out based on your time as a high school coach. Yeah. I think my first year I, I tried to not deal with the parents. Mm. I, I had that same philosophy. Well, you know, yeah, they're in high school, they're not adults, but you know, they, they're independent at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that was, that was not the case. And, um, you know, they really were pulling the strings and a lot of times, um, pulling the strings from a strategic standpoint matches where they had a different, uh, philosophy there. They wanted their, um, their son to use in a match that maybe I did. And you work through that. Um, you know, you have to have those conversations. Sometimes they're difficult. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely helped. And I've seen that, you know, even in talking with recruits now, when we talk to them at SVSU, you definitely, the, the parents ask the most questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, look, we can fight it, right? And we can rail against it, but this is the world we live in now and we might as well accept it. And I guess our point is coaches, make sure you recruit the parents, maybe even harder than the, the player. But uh, so, so I'm interested then, you know, again, this transition from high school coach to college coach, you know, did you have to adapt your coaching style from coaching the men to coaching the women? And then obviously the different age categories as well. Was that a, a, a jump or, or did you have to change in any way? Yeah, I think a little, I, you know, the bigger emphasis became relationship building. Um, not that you don't have a relationship with your players at the high school level, but it's, it's much more fleeting. You know, they're coming in for a shorter time period, the season shorter. Mm. Um, you don't always see them as much in the off season. Um, in college, it's not that way. You're, you're with them almost daily. You're on road trips with them. You're going to Florida with them. You know, you're with them in the fall. You're with them in the spring. And so um, relationship building became more of a priority. And so I spend way more time on that uh, than, I, than I did probably as a high school coach. And you know, building a relationship with each individual player, um, understanding their personality, you know, their strengths. And, uh, you know, each one is coached a little different, right? Everybody responds differently to different types of coaching. So it helps with that. 
Um, I think the other thing is greater emphasis on team culture. Be the other thing, again in high school because it's so fleeting. You know the team culture aspects only. You know is only around for a couple months, whereas your team culture in college is there year round. Mm-hmm. And you know your team culture is based on trying to get a you know a high level, high performance athlete uh, to perform. And so you want it to be fun. You want it to be engaging. You want them to feel good. Um, and you really want them to know that the university cares about them. I think that's especially true in tennis and college tennis, whether on the women or men's side. Uh, um, I think a lot of times tennis feels like it's the second class citizen of uh, at universities. And so, you know, one of my first steps when I came on board was to change that, to make sure that they had everything just like any other program, um, whether that's new bags or new backpacks or whatever. And so, you know, there's an, a greater emphasis on team culture, I think. Mm. And would you be willing to share some of the ways in which you go about building that relationship with the player and also how you uh, maintain or, or build a strong culture? Yeah, I think, you know, the one-on-one, you know, usually it's myself and uh, my assistant coach, we do one-on-ones with each player. And in some cases, when we feel it, we do them weekly. Um, in other cases, we do them every other week. But um, we spend time talking about everything from roommates to classes to grades to um, you know the atmosphere with the team um, anything that we can um, to make them feel at home make them feel like they can come and talk to us you know I want to know if there's an issue we want to know about it and we you know we try to make sure that they are they're solving issues with any teammates within 24 hours but that's helped a lot and um, we do team building uh, every week to every other week and some of that is either led by the captains on the team or led by somebody that the captain designates to lead the team building. Uh, one of the other aspects we're bringing in is having some of our alum who've gone on to accomplish some great things in their career come in and speak to the team as well mm-hmm. uh, so that they understand um, you know, what's out there, what somebody else went through, uh, and to get some you know, mentorship advice. Um, I think all those things help build that relationship. And, and we're also open, you know, if they have a suggestion um, regarding practice or something like that, we take it and we run with it. We, we want them to be that open with us. Um, and then the greater emphasis on team culture has been, you know, really, like I said, making sure that they're, they have the equipment that they need, um, making sure that um, they're elevated uh, in the community and in the university. Um, we have redone our Instagram accounts, our Twitter accounts, and we're very active on there. And we elevate those players. We do personal profiles on those players' videos. Um, um, you know, we market them. And I think that uh, also helps build that team culture and shows that we care and the university cares. Mm. Um, we've got some really good compliments uh, from the university administration about what we've done um, on the social media side. So, um, you know, all those things, I think, taken together, you know, are really building that culture. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, Ryan, from our new coach support group, I think you said you often do those uh, team building activities on Friday and and it didn't matter if you ran into your practice time, you were going to stay in the room with the, with the players. Is is that accurate? Am I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. I think at that point it was Friday. Now we've kind of moved them to Monday. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, you know, the day, the day doesn't really matter. The, the overall, you know, what we do in there does. And uh, you're right. If it runs over, it runs over. Um, That's more important. Um, And, 
you know, they, they seem to respond well to it. It's been, it's been a, a very nice thing to have them bond. We've done fun personality tests uh, in there. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's important. And we put a priority on it. And I think the, the players put a priority on it because they know we're willing to do, to devote the time to it. Yeah. 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 Cause I think that's a mistake I probably made. And I think a lot of other coaches, it's like, you, you're so eager to get on the practice court and get going. And it's having the, the patience, the discipline to know that this is probably more important. And, you know, you can always make a practice time. And at the end of the day is another 15 minutes of hitting forehands cross court really going to make a difference. But that extra 15 minutes in that room where maybe a problem was solved or something clicked with a player, you know, that, that, um, that's going to have long lasting effects for them, maybe not just during their experience, but also for many years to come. I mean, I'm assuming that's the hope. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, so you get to Oxford high school, you start the, the men's program from scratch. You go on to have a lot of success. Like you said, you really enjoy building. And, and so again, are there any experiences from that building process or, you know, how do you think you're going to be, able to replicate the success you had at the high school level at the college level now because you've obviously inherited a, a an interesting situation there you I think you said you came in 45 days before COVID hit I don't think you maybe had a lot of players I could be wrong but I know you inherited a pretty tough deal um, and now you're in that building process and and I guess how are you going about that are you on track what's to come yeah, patience is the number one number one rule, and I have to remind myself of that uh, often. Um, but building something and you know realizing it's a growth process and having that patience to kind of see it through. And so one of the first things I did when I came in was analyze where we were here, uh, what was what did we have, what didn't we have, um, and then I was able to, you know, I, I just wanted to put something on paper. So I just had something to refer to. Where do I want to be? in you know, four or five years and where are we now and what's the path to get there. And, and it concentrated on everything from our roster size, which was small. We, we were, I think we were at six when I came in um, at, at one point that I had heard they were playing with four before I came in because of injuries and other things like that. I knew we had to get to 10 for a variety of reasons. Um, how we were financially um, on the operating budget side, the athletic scholarship budget side, but the overall community sense and university sense of the program was um, to equipment that we had, didn't have uh, facilities that we had, didn't have. And um, that allowed me to start to plan and start to put something together and then uh, take that and be able to articulate that vision inside the AD's office, inside the university, and frankly, you know, outside to the community. Um, and so I have to tell myself it's a it's still a process and we're still working, uh, but I think we'll get there. You know, uh, Oxford High School is the same way. Um, you know, those first two seasons were rough uh, mm -hmm. as you grew a tennis program um, that had been that wasn't there before. And the same thing when I was a lawyer uh, inside a small company, uh, you go through those ups and downs, and you have to be patient and realize that there's still a goal, um, whether it's you know a year down the road, three years down the road, five years down the road. Um, it just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. But I like where we are. I like what we've done so far. And I think we're on, on that path. Um, you know, you, uh, you have to believe in, you know, why you're doing something. Um, and uh, I think we are. 
Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, and so we've mentioned Oxford High School a number of times. I think that's probably ringing a lot of bells for, for our listeners right now. And, you know, um, if, if it is, it's because uh, the school experienced a horrible tragedy last uh, November. I think three students and one teacher lost their lives in a mass shooting. Um, several more were injured. Can you take us through a, a little bit of, of, of that day and how you learned what was happening? Yeah, so um, it was uh, four students, and um, there were 11 students uh, shot in total, uh, one in, including the teacher. She did survive. Okay. Uh, Oxford is a, it's a Division I high school in Michigan, so it's a big high school, um, but it's a, it's a small town. Mm. Uh, they pull kids from, from all over northern Oakland County. And so it has that, you know, it's a small town, it has that small town feel. Everybody knows everybody. Um, and it was uh, surreal, something you don't, you know, you don't want to have happen in your community. Um, we're, we felt, um, you know, I hate to say we felt blessed, but our, our girls had graduated last May. So they were out of the high school, uh, freshman in college. Um, mm -hmm. My son, though, is still in the district. He's a, he's a, a fifth grader. Um, and yeah, I, I experienced it in a, I would say, um, again, surreal is the only way I can describe it in a surreal way in that I had uh, a recruit on campus with their parents. Oh my God. Uh, they were here visiting and um, we had just finished lunch. Uh, so I was having lunch with the parents and the recruit. Some of my players were there and my, my cell phone kept going off. It was my wife. And, <laughs> you know, you do the, you do the husband thing. You know, send a voicemail and she called back four seconds later send the voicemail she calls back four seconds later send the voicemail and then finally i think it was on the fourth time i answered because i'm like okay well <laughs> something's <What>? wrong here <laughs> and yeah i couldn't uh you know she had she had seen the race of cars to the high school um of police cars and, and ems vehicles so you know she was um crying, could barely understand her. She kept saying, you know, school shooting, going to uh, get my son. And so in that moment, you, you're trying to make sense of what's, what's happening. You know, and you got people in front of you <laughs> who you're trying to recruit here. And so I couldn't tell if she was talking about the high school or if she was talking about my son's school. And, you know, I, I said to um, the parents and the recruit we were with, I said, you know, unfortunately, it appears something's going on you know, at home. And um, I'm going to get you to uh, admissions. They were just about to go on a tour. So I took them to admissions right away. Um, uh, and, you know, left them there a little early. And then I took off, and, you know, and, and drove home, got a hold of her again. And, you know, she walked through what was going on. So I understood, you know, you know, thankfully, my son wasn't involved. But, um, you know, we obviously knew families involved, um, new kids involved. Um, through our daughters and um, the community's healing, um, you know, is the best way I can put it. Um, it's had its ups and downs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've um, we've reached out to I've reached out to the girls' tennis coach. Uh, you know, they had a, a player involved, and you know, said whatever whatever we can do, you know, we'd be happy to you know have the team out to a match and and to mm -hmm. honor them and things like that. But um, you know, it was one of those things that you don't wish to ever have to deal with or phone calls you don't want to ever get. But I think the community has been uh, strong and uh, is slowly getting, 
better and better. So again, another one of those things that, you know, like we talked earlier, kind of puts things into perspective. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and were any of your current players, did they go to high school there? No, none of my current players. Did. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear things are moving along slowly, I'm sure, but the, the community is healing and, and, uh, yeah, what a story. Um, well, let's let's switch gears a little bit. And, and part of your responsibilities at Saginaw Valley include development fundraising. Can you take us through what some of your specific duties in that role are and, and how you add value to your athletic department in that role? Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, more community engagement and uh, talking with, you know, potential donors and sponsors uh, for the university. It's been um, fantastic in that it's, it's really helped me get to meet um, a lot of the alumni uh, here mm. and build a relationship with, with them, not only whether they were in tennis, um, but alumni from, you know, maybe they were on the football team years ago or basketball team. And so that's been great. And um, even, uh, you know, getting to meet donors and uh, people who were involved in the community who donated to the business school. And so that's really the role is being part of that and being part of that for athletics as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously the benefits of being in that position is it also benefits the tennis program and it helps elevate it, um, helps maybe bring in some donors and sponsors that wouldn't have been there otherwise because they get, I get to interact with them. They get to you know, meet the head coach and, mm -hmm. and uh, build a relationship. So. And, and how does something like that come along? Because obviously you came in late in the season, your interim head coach, and now you have these additional responsibilities. So is it the athletic director just recognizing your background, your experiences, where you could add value and, and offering you this, this role? Or, or is it something you went to the athletic director with? I, I, I hope it was that. I hope it was that they, they recognized that maybe I could add some value there. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure how it was. They had asked if it was something that I would be interested in. And I said, yes, for sure. Um, you know, I've been on boards before, um, you know, done community engagement and fundraising and, and development. So it wasn't something that I didn't have experience with. And it's something that I've always enjoyed. Um, you know, I like getting to know people. I like getting out in the community. I like that aspect. And I looked at it as just another pathway for the tennis program to be um, mm. elevated. Um, so I think it's, it's done that. And hopefully, you know, it'll continue to be part of the job responsibilities that really do help the tennis program, not just the entire athletic program. Yeah. So you said during your, your one of the skills that you really developed as your time in the legal profession was communication. And obviously fundraising is a big part of communication. But would you have any, I guess, tips, advice on how coaches can improve their communication skills and, and maybe in turn help their fundraising efforts? Yeah, I think the number one thing is, you know, be out there and be willing to, to meet with people and build that relationship. It takes time. Um, you know, I probably spend, I'll say, I'll say I spend two days a week usually where I'm either having lunch with somebody or talking with somebody, you know, setting something up where I'm going to meet with them again. And I'm not going into those meetings always, you know, talking fundraising. I'm going into those meetings to talk about what we're doing, whether mm. it's at the university itself or what we're doing with the tennis program, because you want to build that relationship first. You want them to um, buy in and people, you know, especially, I think tennis coaches have it, um, have it easier than they think. 
because most people have a very good relationship with the sport of tennis. They mm -hmm. like tennis. They, they've played it before. Their kids have played it. Um, they like to watch it. You know, I've never heard anybody say, oh, I can't, I couldn't stand the tennis team in college or I hated, I hate tennis. It's usually a very positive experience when you start talking tennis with them. And so to me, it's always been a natural in that you have and a natural connection. And then, you know, you can kind of build from there. So, I, you know, tennis can be used as that has that nice starting point with a lot of uh, community leaders and, and, and potential donors. Mm. So um, I think that's the, yeah. you know, th that's, that's probably number one is be willing to be out there and, and put in the time uh, to communicate. And then if you have a, if you have a plan, if you have a plan where you want to raise a certain dollar amount, or you want to, um, you know, redo your tennis facility, you, know, you have to, to use the old phrase, you have to speak it into existence. You have to talk about it. Um, even if it's a little, you know, a couple of years off and that works, it, it gets stuck in administrators' minds. It gets stuck in, uh, donors' minds, um, alumni's minds. You have to have that there and then they'll, they'll ask you about it. Right. And then you can go back to them and, you know, say, Hey, we've been talking about this project for a while, you know, we're, we need this. Um, so speaking it into existence and getting it out there, I think is a, is a big thing as well. Mm -hmm. So if there's a new coach out there listening, they, they come to maybe a new community and they have a vision, they have a plan, they've put that together. How do they start reaching out to folks? Do they start with maybe the alumni and then trying to get a list from the athletic department or do they go into tennis clubs or, or what advice would you give that new coach? Yeah, all of that. You know, one of the things I did was I, I had a list of alumni and started reaching out to them, the tennis alumni, and then um, asked, I asked our, you know, foundation director on the athletic side, you know, if there's people who you think would be, you know, good for me to spend time with or meet that would be, you know, interested in tennis or talking about tennis or who want, you know, are on that alumni list, let's, um, you know, how can I get a hold of them and, you know, we'll go to lunch and we'll start talking about it. And we have, um, we practice off site uh, twice a week. And what's interesting about that is we, we practice uh, one day at one site and one day at another. And you meet the tennis pros there and you talk, I, I talk to them and say, okay, you know, introduce me to some other people who, you know, who do you, who do you know who would be interested in our tennis program or, you know, so it's not just talking about maybe some recruits that they're working on that you want to talk to. It's also talking about those community leaders that they know. And to be honest, that's been one of the best um, I've talked to, you know, the owners of, of clubs. And that's been one of the best ways to, to meet people who love tennis and are willing to engage with the college tennis program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, another way you're meeting people, right, is through committees and boards. So you've you've served or are currently serving on a, on a number of committees or, or board of directors. So why have you made it such a priority in, in your life to volunteer your time on, on these various different boards and committees? Yeah, I, uh, I'm on the Children's uh, Hospital Foundation of Michigan. Um, I'm on the USTA Midwest uh, foundation board, and I've been involved with USTA Midwest on various committees, nominating committee, delegate. Um, you know, the number one reason, it's just something I'm passionate about. You know, we were, I was in uh, healthcare law for a number of years. 
Um, you know, my son was born um, uh, premature, so we got to you know experience all that, mm-hmm. and um, that just made it a priority for us. Um, you know, why the children's hospital is so important to us, and why being on that has been, um, you know, just something that I'm very proud of, and just something that you know we feel has has always made a difference. It made, makes a difference on a daily basis um, around uh, the state of Michigan, and and uh, you know, especially did during COVID as well. Um, and then, you know, the USTA pieces, you know, things that I just love, you know, I love tennis. So being involved with that's been great. Uh, the USTA Midwest foundation, obviously, uh, you know, provides money for tennis players as they go through juniors and they travel, um, and, and also a lot of, um, uh, different programming, you know, for low income areas as well and getting that sport out. Um, so, you know, being involved, I think, um, it's part of just being, like I said, being part of that passion. But again, you also get to meet people and and uh, get to hear from people with different views, different experiences, um, and uh, yeah. So it's been a big part of my career. Yeah, yeah, very good because it's something we rely a lot on at the ITA, right? As as coaches volunteering their time on a number of different committees. Obviously, we have a board of directors as well, and and uh, just want to keep encouraging, especially this next generation of coaches coming through that. Uh, we need you guys signing up and volunteering and, and being a part of the process. I think sometimes coaches feel like, oh, well, nothing ever gets done, nothing gets accomplished. And it's, it, it's really not true. It just doesn't happen as quickly as they would like. And uh, because it doesn't happen as quickly as they like, they think nothing's accomplished. And, and so many great things have been accomplished by people coming together in a room and disagreeing, but walking away and, and trying to get to some consensus. And, uh, yeah, the, the ITA, that's why I tell coaches, we're, we're all the ITA staff and, and coaches together. Obviously, somebody has to be the bad guy and make a final decision. And that's usually right. usually the staff or board of directors or maybe our operating committee. But um, somebody has to sort through through the mess. And, and uh, if, uh, if I have to be the bad guy, then, then so be it. But uh, thank you for, for your service to tennis because, uh, yeah, I serve on a number of committees as well. And it can be sometimes the last thing you want to do, right? You've got so many priorities. You've got so many things going on. And, you know, you're not being paid. You're volunteering your time. Um, but that was kind of my last question for you, Ryan, is just how do you manage your time? Like you said, you've got two kids in college. You have a young young boy who I think is getting into tennis as well. And you want to spend time, time with him and, and uh, stoking that passion. Um, but you're also building this program, you're fundraising. Uh, how, how do you manage your time? Do you have a system or, or anything that you can share with the coaches? Yeah, well, you know, I enter a lot of things into a calendar. So, you know, on your, on your iPhone, that helps. But, you know, I think, um, you know, just having that that passion about it and wanting to do it is the best is the best real way to prioritize and to deal with your day. I mean, if you want to, it's amazing what you can do if you want to do it and you want to be a part of it, you can, you can fit it all in and you can make it work. And, um, you know, so far so good, been able to do that. So, you know, it's, you, you prioritize, obviously there, you know, your family comes first, you know, your team, um, and then you kind of, you work from there, but, um, you know, it's, it's knowing what your priorities are, knowing what your passions are. And then I think you can, you can fit it all in together. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think the saying goes something like, if you want something done, give it to the busiest person and right. uh, they'll, they'll get it done. But okay, let's go into some uh, rapid fire questions. What's the best piece of advice you've received from anyone in your life? It doesn't have to be tennis related. Uh, the best piece of advice I ever got was uh, the most difficult things are usually the most fun. Hmm. When I left uh, one of the companies I was with in Wisconsin to come over here to Michigan uh, to that pharmacy company as a lawyer, I was only 34 and usually they don't hire 34 year olds to run legal department. And um, I was a little skittish on, on doing that. And uh, my former uh, boss and mentor said that to me and he was 100% right. And you know, those, it might seem difficult but usually they're the things you look back on and think how fun it was to go through that because it pushed you, uh, you got to build something, um, it made you grow. Um, so I always, I have that written down. I always keep it with me. It's usually somewhere in, in my bag or in a binder or something that I always remember that, yeah, the, the most difficult things are usually the most fun. Those are the things that you look back on and think, man, that was, was difficult, but it was a lot of fun when we went through it. Yeah, I'll remember that tomorrow when I'm doing my workout. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, is there a book, podcast, article, passage, poem that's influenced your journey to date? Um, you know, I, not not really. I think off the top of my head, I think, you know, I think I mentioned it before. Um, you have to, you know, believe there was that phrase, you have to believe in why you're doing, you know, what you're doing. And, um, you know, that's something that um, I talk about to the team as well. You know, you have to have that belief in yourself, um, uh, whether people, some people might describe it as just having confidence in yourself, but I think it's more about having that belief in who you are and, and, um, that's been a, a nice quote, and a nice passage that I've used not only in my own life, but also, um, you know, with the team as well. Mm -hmm. And are, are there any things that you're consuming at the moment that helping you develop as, as uh, not just a college coach, but maybe a tennis coach in general, right? Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't always have to be about college coaching. It could be just something that's helping you become a better development of, of tennis players. Yeah. You know, I've been reading, um, uh, the book I'm reading right now is called Range, uh, mm. Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World by David Epstein. He mm -hmm. also wrote a book on the sports gene, um, partly from the coaching, you know, trying to understand it from the coaching aspect, also mm. trying to understand it from having uh, a fifth grader <laughs> who plays a lot of tennis himself. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, that's been a nice book. It, it gives you a different perspective on some things. Um, and um, yeah, I would recommend I would recommend reading that probably about three quarters of the way through. So great. Different. And I know you've done, you know, every certification on, under the planet uh, or on the planet. Um, is there an, an idea drill process you've learned from any of those certification programs or maybe conferences that you've attended through the years? We, I, you know, we have a, um, we have a couple favorite drills. I, I we, we like, um, one bounce doubles is one of our favorites um, where the serve doesn't count, you know, as the bounce, but then the next, next shot does. So it's one bounce mm. on each side of the court and it just gets the players moving, gets them to the net and doubles and it's uh, much more fast paced. Uh, we enjoy that. The other one um, uh, I'm a big fan of is alley to alley, which is we uh, hit doubles alley to doubles alley cross court and they have to get 10 balls in the doubles alley inside that rally. So they might have a 50 ball rally to get mm. 10 balls to drop 
in that doubles alley. And what we've noticed that it does is it brings players back into rhythm. So especially if players get out of rhythm or they're, they're struggling, you start running that drill, it builds endurance for sure, but it gets them almost naturally back into rhythm where they're, they're, they're starting to hit topspin, their form looks better. And so that's been one of our, you know, one of our staple drills that we, we really like um, mm. for that reason. So, yeah. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. I love those. Um, so when it comes time for you to retire at some point, what do you hope to have accomplished or what do you hope to be most proud of? <laughs> um, I hope that, you know, I was a good, you know, leader and mentor for a number of, you know, a number of people, whether it was, you know, the employees that I had at, you know, the various legal jobs I had, or whether it was the players that I worked with and coached in high school or in college. And that, you know, they, that I taught them, you know, that life is a growth process, you know, and to, to be patient with it, have a plan, but be patient and to, you know, build confidence and have confidence and belief in themselves. I think if, if I can accomplish those two things to as many people as possible, then I'll be, I'll be happy. Well, Ryan, this has been a blast for me. Thank you. I think we're very lucky to have you in the college coaching ranks. So please keep doing what you're doing and best of luck on spring break tennis out in Orlando. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.